0: Right, so Sam, welcome to Brick by Brick. Um, Thank you this you very is actually going to be just—it's going to be the third episode. So you're now coming in with a bronze medal. So yeah, that's, that's good. <laughs> bronze isn't bad. I'll take—I'll take bronze. Yeah, <laughs> I know you're not used to that, but yeah. So <laughs> for those that don't know you, Sam has organised races and fill me in if I'm not getting them all right here. Ultra marathon races in England, Scotland, Wales, which are the easy ones. Madeira is a new one. Jordan, Tanzania, Morocco, the Azores. How
1: You're doing well. Um, but we've got Slovenia, Sri Lanka, Mexico. Oh. Um, and I think that's it. Okay, I forgot loads.
0: Great. <laughs> okay so i think i want to start there so you're you're the co-founder of ultra x who does these ultra marathon races which can be anywhere from 50k a day for five days
1: to like a what like a 70k one day race yeah we actually have everything now from single stage 25k so um you know it's funny we, we started out and we'll probably kind of come on to this but we started out basically looking to put on adventures and and focusing on like five day 220 kilometers But, um, you know, what hit us for six for a couple of years and we kind of diversified a bit. And now we have everything from 25K single stage to five day 220K, you know, in the middle of the Jordanian desert. Um, So a real mix, a bit of a range. We met in Jordan in the desert because I was with
0: my other friend, Sam, who was filming for you guys. And I was like his essentially glorified personal assistant, which, yeah. Um, which was an amazing experience. Why don't you talk about all tracks a bit, like explain the origin story and how it got to the point where you're you're marshaling a hundred people in thirty-five degree
1: heat in a scorpion ridden desert in the middle of Jordan? <laughs> I think I think we've yeah, I wouldn't say scorpion ridden. I think we've seen probably about five scorpions in, in the in the five wow. years I've been there and they are pretty small, but uh <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, it's a funny, it's kind of a long story, but also there's like a simple short version. Um, essentially, I um, stumbled into trail running and, and ultra running uh, when I was pretty young, when I was 22. Um, I'd never really done any running before, but quite like the idea of the challenge. Um, had an amazing time at an event um, and found it incredibly frustrating every time I said to someone I was doing this and they were like, oh, this isn't for me or I couldn't do that or you Know is it as if it was like this kind of quite elitist, like impossible thing? Um, and I was also quite passionate, I, I kind of wanted to do my own thing of sorts, set up my own business or something like that. Um, and essentially, over the couple of years, I realized there was an opportunity in the in the kind of trail and ultra space to try and create a brand that made ultra running and made the experience that, that I had had a bit more accessible um, and and that was kind of where it started. Um, so Jordan, the the place you kind of alluded to uh, a moment ago was our kind of original race, our baby, um, which was uh, originally actually 300 kilometers in six days um, and it quickly got um, brought down I think because a few people ended up in hospital to uh, 250 <laughs> kilometers in, in five days. Um, and that was kind of our, our format uh, for a few years, um, in 20. And that was kind of a bit of a passion project, a bit of a side hustle. And in 2018, um, we, um, I say, we, that's Jamie and me. Jamie's the other co-founder essentially decided to go all in, um, and rebrand what this original event was called, um, the Wadi Rum Ultra into Ultra X Jordan, and, and basically launch a series of events called Ultra X, um, with five day events in Sri Lanka and Mexico. Um, and yeah, we've been kind of doing it ever since. And, and the, the aims have always remained the same. It's really growing the number of events that we've got, um, across the world, um, trying to get more people doing those events. And, and, and by that, I mean, not just numbers, like different types of people that may not have done these kind of events before, um, and, um, you know, create, creating a, a, a brand, which, um, you know, which kind of, um, you know can be related to that to that space in that sector and it's been a pretty crazy um (laughs) four years uh for many reasons um not just the kind of industry we're in um but everything that's kind of gone on for the last uh, you know particularly 20 and 21 um but yeah we're still going um still very much following the kind of same vision um and yeah it's looking like the next couple of years are going to be incredibly exciting just because we're now getting to a point where this this space is blowing up, you know, that I think, you know, marathon's not long enough anymore. People are looking for more and more extreme and um, and different things and experiences um, rather than just races. Um, and a lot more people are into kind of the trail um, space. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of, it, it feels like we've been doing it for a long time, but it also feels like we're literally just starting out um, because actually Whilst it's been four years, it's been two years of actually properly being able to do what we kind of set out to do.
0: exciting. I'm sure there's big things coming up. Although you guys started on a very strong point. I actually forgot that that was your starting point. And Mm. can you talk a bit more about like how that works? It's typical startup founder, like software or something like that. In this day and age, you you make the products, do classic marketing. Mm. It could all be on a, a laptop. Organising a race in the Wadi Rum desert is certainly not on a laptop, and from being there, there's a lot of things you have to organise to make it happen. So, how do
1: you? I really just don't understand how you go from nothing to a race in Jordan. Well, yeah, it's, um, it was a series of mistakes um, and uh, coincidences mainly, I think. So, it all started. This race in Jordan started back in I think 2010 or 2011. Um, where a guy called Jamie, uh, who's not the Jamie that is a now co-founder, um, ran across the Wadi Rum desert um, with um, by himself, raising money for charity. And in doing so, he uh, like took on board like some local like Bedouins who you actually met when you were out there. Same kind of operators, oh, okay. and they basically yeah. supported him on this challenge. He lo- raised a load of money for charity, and he and he had this you know amazing experience. Fast forward a couple of years and Jamie, Jamie 1 meets Jamie 2. Jamie 2 is my Jamie, Jamie Sparks, who yeah. um, who you've met um, yeah. in a pub, I think. Um, and Jamie 1 is talking about this experience and this event. And Jamie 2 is saying it would be amazing. Who's, who's kind of a bit more kind of business minded or what, what was really into kind of his adventure um, was like, we should do this as an event. We should do this as a race. I was not in the picture at this step t- uh, time at all. So um, essentially these two between them do create an event, which happens in 2015, um, and that was the 300 kilometer one I, re- I mentioned, which I think had five or six people do it. Pretty much all of them were Jamie's mates, and, and a few people ended up in hospital because it was you know it was pretty it was pretty savage. Um, and Jamie essentially did all kind of the logistics operations, etc. my Jamie and jamie that's why they ended up in hospital <laughs> <laughs> no i think i think it's just i i, I, I don't know I, I actually think there was a lot of factors out of their control that it was it was a bit of a free year there was a, a couple of people that weren't prepared at all um you know competitors um and it was an incredibly hot year and actually i say that i'm exaggerating of course it was two people ended up in basically and that was only because you know now our events we have hospitals like basically on site everyone kind of ends up in hospital for a little bit there we had one local medic so when you went to the local medic you got taken straight to hospital so i'm making it sound more extreme than it was but anyway it's a better story it's a better story that way and (laughs) anyway so my jamie was kind of managing this event the other jamie was not really doing anything but he had the connections um at the same on the same year was the year i did this event um the Marathon de Sable, which was my kind of first experience in ultra running. Oh, you did that! Exactly. Yeah, so I have no idea you'd done that. Yeah, so that was that was kind of my first um, adventure um, where I kind of got into it, having never really done anything before. And Can you it was, explain what
0: it is for people who might not know.
1: Yeah, of course. Cool. So it's uh, Marathon Desab is probably the most well known um, multi stage ultra. It's two hundred and sixty k over six days in the Sahara Desert carrying everything um that you need for the week so carrying all your food sleeping bag um roll mat everything basically and it's um about 800 to 1000 people you know 35 degree heat heavy sand um it's pretty hardcore and it's also you know it's not just a running event it's very much you know body maintenance like trying to manage your calorie intake there's a lot which goes into it outside of the physical Preparation. But anyway, I I'd, I'd kind of done that, and it was literally because I wanted to do it, have a challenge. And um, you know, I thought it was gonna be do it, scratch that itch, and move on, and then do something else. Um, but I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. Um, I had an amazing time, and one of my buddies who I did that event with was a friend of Jamie's, um, a guy called Ollie Walker. Um and about eight months after the marathon desaubes ollie came up to me and he was like i've got this mate jamie who's got this event in jordan and it's super cheap (laughs) um and uh there'll be like 20 people doing it um and i'm gonna go do you want to come and and it was it was genuinely too good to be true like you know I I knew a few people going, great friends. Like It was exactly what I wanted to do. It was great value compared to the around the side, which is incredibly expensive. Um, So I I basically jumped in, did that event, and that was where I met Jamie for the first time. I kind of had interactions. We had a lot of mutual friends and stuff before then, but that was the first time we actually met. Um, And and that was 2017. Um, After that event, as you do when you're like, 20-odd people in a small environment. You spent quite a lot of time together. You had a couple of, like, we were we were all based, at, like, quite a lot of us were based in London. So actually, we finished the event and we had a couple of, like, drinks and reunions and stuff. But anyway, Jamie and I got got on well. Uh, it was clear we had, like, similar um, ideas about the space. And also, were, at, at the time, I was looking to do another, like, business venture. I was looking to quit my job and do this other thing. And it became quite clear that, he was like oh i'm thinking about starting a business you're thinking about starting a business we've, we've got quite potentially like complementary skill sets what can we do here and that was literally how it how it began um and then yes yeah, so that was 2017 and then we spent a whole year um basically mapping out the future mapping out ultra X. 2018 we ran the event together so we like co-directed it um that was about 50 people so it'd grown like yeah, I mean, just over well basically doubled in a bit um that year um, and then just after that event was when we both quit our jobs and went full-time and rebranded it as ultra x and launched sri lanka and mexico and yeah then we then we kind of did that literally just us for a whole year um and and since then we kind of been building up but it was so frustrating actually because we we you know we had 2018 was the rebrand. 2019 was a great year. We kind of did everything we wanted to do in a year one as two. We just built out the team a little bit at the beginning of 2020, ready to go. And then obviously, you know what comes around the corner and everything kind of shuts down. So what happened at that point? Did you have enough money to, well,
0: obviously still here. Um, I yeah. can't remember. Did you have any other ways of making money? Were you able to put events on in other countries or...
1: Uh, no, we couldn't, we couldn't put events on. I, I think we kind of hit with the double whammy because, um, it was like events, but also, well, it was international travel, but also events. So like, you know, at that point, everything we did was abroad. Um, so even if we felt comfortable enough to, you know, put an event on, uh, and, and it was really complicated because obviously everyone had different, um, like policies, and actually, it was really interesting at the time, because I remember having like, you know, every week I'd have like different calls with different people in locations and, and they'd be doing completely different things. And it was like that moment. You're like, oh, God, this is just crazy, isn't it? Um But yeah, so um yeah, we we survived. And that was mainly because our team was so small. Um And actually, I, th- I, th- I kind of feel like if you're if you're a big bo- if you're a, like big business uh when something like that happens you're probably okay because you've got reserves if you're a small business like us you're probably okay because actually you're pretty lean and and you can cut stuff i think the people in the middle were the ones that really struggled like for us everything basically all of our costs were putting on events um so when we go out to jordan or whatever that that's a big outlay of course but actually if we didn't put on events we didn't do anything it was basically our salaries which we at that point we took nothing out we both went home and just lived at home and then it was just marketing so like advertising and there was nothing to advertise so yeah we didn't we didn't really do what much we we looking back i actually think we kind of did some good stuff we we essentially very quickly said okay this this year is not about selling race places it's not about you know doing any of that it's literally all, our only metric is growing the brand how can we how can we get more people um <laughs> without spending any money, in touch with with our events and what we do and our um and our kind of you know proposition, um, and actually it was quite fun in a funny way. Once you got over the like the the constant stress, because you kind of had this free reign to actually do whatever you wanted, because everyone was like, oh, it's fine, you know, it's it's COVID, uh, and as long as you kind of communicate why you were doing it pretty clearly, people were pretty receptive. Um, so we did quite a lot of fun like virtual events. Um, and you know, we did like a, the ultra X world series where we picked like random distances somewhere between like five and 35 K, but they were never like round numbers. They were like 8.1 K or 13.2 K yeah. or stuff like that. Um, just to get people outside their front doors and did a lot of like online stuff. Um, did a few like, like film screenings and like, um, you know, Q and A st- things, um, and basically just focused on like building our audience as much as we could. And it, and it kind of it was good because everyone was online. Um, and actually virtual races were incredibly popular. It was, it was kind of one of those weird things where like, if you'd asked me two months before, I would have said, like, I would, I would have been like, no way. Like, why, like, why would you pay, you know, Fiverr to run from your front door and then get sent a medal? Like that's, I don't get it, but actually they were amazing because, they gave people like things to be motivated about. You ha- As soon as you have a leaderboard in the time, you get excited and you actually, if you've got a virtual race on a Saturday, you will rest for on the Friday or whatever because you want to you run well and, and you want to get your medal. But also at that like weird time, and I'm sure you had like similar, I don't know how you like interacted with your friends during that time, but it was just a sense of community and like everyone went for a run and took a picture of them on their run and shared it. And there was like this kind of shared experience without actually together and also like a massive thing about our brand has always been accessibility like that's that's literally the you know the reason we set it up at the end of the day and and there's nothing more accessible than a virtual event because you know you don't need to travel anywhere you don't need to pay airfares you don't need to you know you can literally do it from your front door and it might cost a couple of quid or it might be free as quite a lot of ours were um so yeah we did like virtual events and, and actually we spent a lot of time in, in a funny way, I look back and I'm like, actually, you know, what? we benefited a lot from it because year one was so mental in that we were, it was just about getting an event ready to go, filling up an event, traveling to that place, doing it, and then moving on to the next one and and just kind of delivering and getting this cycle. Whereas actually not being able to do anything, but being pretty damn committed to this, like, you know, we'd, we'd quit our jobs. This was, this was a hundred percent of our time. So every day you'd wake up and be like, okay, what can we do? That'll, you know, that'll benefit the company in, in a year's time. So like we created like a, a, a sustainability policy, which now we we still basically kind of adhere to about how we kind of want to operate and how we want to be responsible in that way. We've created a diversity inclusion policy and like all these little things, which, you know, uh, actually are really important to our brand now. Um, but did take a lot of time. And probably if we hadn't had this, um, pandemic, We wouldn't have done.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. As it goes to show, like if you have a positive mindset, most things that are bad can actually be an opportunity. Yeah, and I'm sure a lot of that brand value you're now like capturing now. Capture is quite an aggressive word, but you're reaping the benefits of that now. How did you measure it at the time? Like you say, our main metric was to increase the brand, but like, what is that? Followers or?
1: Um, it's really difficult. I mean. Probably like email addresses. <laughs> at the end of the okay. day, like like our, we kind of that's how we kind of measure our our audience mainly, like f- followers or reach. Is, uh, you know, these are all like those those things. Um, but essentially, yeah, we we kind of we do a lot of um, email marketing, and, that, and that's how we communicate with a lot of our community um, now. Um, so like I guess like two two things are the key metrics there, which is like database size, and then like actually open rate on like a weekly basis so like it's great having 50,000 email addresses but actually if only 10,000 are opening them every week they probably don't even care about us and that's not important so it's it's kind of the percentage the, the number of people that are basically email uh, reading and um you know enjoying and interacting with our content um and i'd say probably email for us is the most important um measure of that um and we do yeah a bit, a bit on social as well
0: okay cool and who does the email stuff like do you all sit down together and plan what
1: you're going to write or is that an agency or um yeah it's it's pretty much well yeah it's 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 a team effort um i'm kind of i've kind of managed most of the emails um we don't have a we don't have an agency we've used uh, an agency a little bit in the past before for kind of the digital marketing side but they've never got involved in the email stuff like we i don't know it's it's one of those things like You know, potentially, if you get someone who's an expert in, they're going to save you time um, and do things more effectively and more efficiently. Um, But from our experience, it's been better when we've been taught how to do things and then implemented them them ourselves, just because our brand and our tone of voice are super important. And actually, whilst you might have someone who might get a higher conversion rate or click-through rate or whatever open rate, sending our emails, if it's not the way I want to say it, it's, it's not it's, it's not right. Um, and like I remember when we at the very beginning when we started out, um, we for like a short period of time, we had someone external doing our social media. Um, and like just responding to queries and like post doing posts and stuff, and we just send them uh, images. And yeah, it just it just we just, you know, got to the point you look at it, and you'd be like, that's, that's not who we want to be. Um, so we we manage pretty much all of it. We get we get a bit of advice from an agency from time to time. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's pretty internal.
0: That's cool. And it actually makes a lot of sense because the brand you have and the company you have, it's not like a scented candle company. It's not a numbers game. It's very personal. Like from being at one of the races, the amount of emotion that people have when they leave,
1: all their family are watching the updates back at home. It's no like... Oh, a hundred. Small it's, thing. it's, it's all the people. And it's, and it's, I think it's almost like a bit of a, like misunderstanding. Some, sometimes when people kind of think of the sport and they just assume it's like another race, like a London marathon or a park run or whatever, but you know, it is incredibly personal and your, your entire experience really at the end of the day is down to the, the like the connections you make over that week. And those are all, you know, face to face, human to human. Um, so that's, yeah, it's always been something we've really focused on and, and, you know, actually, and as you say, it's not its not really a numbers game. Like, at the end of the day, we could be an incredibly successful company with two or 3,000 people doing our events a year. Um, and it's just about, you know, giving them a good time.
0: Actually, I think that might be quite useful to help visualize what UltraX is. Can you explain the journey of a runner in, like, two minutes from leaving London, arriving in Jordan, camping the first night, setting off at... 5 4 a.m. the next
1: day, and then the whole race, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so we'll take Jordan. Jordan's, as I say, we've got a mixture of races now, everything from 25k for 220k. But really, what Ultra X is about is five day events because that's that's the experience we want people to do, and that's what we're all about, and that's what we think the best thing is. Really, everything else is kind of just providing stepping stones for people to get there um, because you know, we understand that it's a big leap. Um, but for something like Jordan, which is basically the same for all of our five day events. Um, You would travel out as a competitor to the host location, uh, always, always on the Saturday, really, you might travel out before, but essentially the Saturday, Um, you would then arrive in the race hotel, Um, you don't have to stay in the race hotel, but there's a race hotel, which we all stay in on Saturday night, there's then a race briefing, first thing Sunday morning, where we welcome you, um, and also do things like kit checks. So every single competitor has to have a list of mandatory items for their safety to to take part in the race so we will literally check that they every single person has every single thing on that list um so that entails going around bedrooms and like they lay them out on kit on on um beds or they come down and they you know they, they put them in the box and we kind of inspect them and and do that, which always fun. Uh, There's always a few dramas, and it's amazing how much people can get worried about kit checks when you know it is just a list of things that you know um, it, it have always been on our website. But yeah, it's uh, I think it's a bit of always a bit of relief when you get that done and moved on. Then we get onto coaches where we travel to um, basically out in the the wild. Um, so wherever the event takes place in Jordan, this is the Wadi Rum desert. So it's like a four-hour um, coach journey we arrive at the edge of the desert, um, which is essentially the furthest point the, um, the coaches can go. Um, and this is always, it's like a pretty special moment because usually the times you're kind of getting down around sundown, um, kind of like four or 5.00 PM, um, on Sunday. And we, we literally have 40, um, pickup trucks with, um, (laughs) with, uh, different, uh, yeah, slightly different, um, kind of setups and, all uh, usually at least 20 to 25 years old, maybe maybe even older. They're real like bangers driven by locals. And essentially we cart all the competitors onto the back of them with all their kit um, and they drive into, into the desert, which is just in, such an amazing experience because um, yeah, you're just coming into this like insane setting, you know, open top vehicles out the back for 10 minutes where you're riding to your first camp um so it's always it's always a real highlight of the week uh then they arrive in campsite which is you know the first time they'll have seen what they're going to be basically living in for the for the week um and they're literally open open plan um kind of canvas tents um or coverings um very like traditional um in in jordan um kind of berber style tents um overlooking the kind of valley um they will be from that point on they're basically self-sufficient um we unlike some other yeah, wait can i just, can I just yeah. stop you
0: for a second like yeah. you say valley but it's like if anyone's seen like star wars yeah. it's it's like the, the desert floor and then just massive outcrops of these huge mountains it looks like it could be a different planet mm. like completely yeah especially on the sun setting yeah. it used to be a riverbed right that's what wadi
1: yeah. rum means those, yeah so uh, dried up real bed sorry carry on um so yeah we arrive in the camp and that's kind of the first introduction to home and and at that point on they're um they're what we call it self sufficient so um some some events um make competitors like the Marathon de star that I mentioned earlier make competitors like basically you start with x amount of stuff and every day you have to carry all of that um for the next day. So that's your food, your water, your, uh, you know, sleeping bag, et cetera. We don't do that slightly quite as extreme. Um, So you get a bag, which is transported between campsites every day. Um, But you are basically, you have to provide all your own food. So we provide hot water. So when you arrive on this uh, into camp on the first evening at like 5.30 PM or whatever, there will be hot water ready for you. And then you basically make yourself food. Um, Most people do um, kind of Uh, like astronaut stuff like you know freeze-dried dehydrated um, meals where you just put a bit of boiling water in a bag and it rehydrates and actually is is actually pretty good like i think five or six years ago (laughs) five or six years ago there was very very few options and it was all pretty just like high calorie crap um now genuinely like some some brands i mean there are they are expensive but some brands are you know really good so um yeah they they do that and then they basically settle in um, for the night. Um, Sunday nights usually a fairly quiet one, and then every day Monday to Friday follows a very similar form- formula. Um, there are varying distances, basically anything between thirty-five uh, k um, to seventy k. Um, checkpoints every ten kilometers. Um, slightly different start times each day because we we get people up super early um, to get them out there um to get them running in the cool, uh, to get as much distance done in that before the sun gets up where it gets pretty um pretty savage. Um so like for example the 70k day which is always on Wednesday in Jordan, we start them at 4 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and for each day we provide like hot water two hours before. So you know runners are getting up at 2 a.m to make their breakfast and then and then do their um do their their day. Um and yeah so each day kind of follows a similar formula when you get in at the end of stage you kind of you know chill out spend time with the other competitors we have like therapists so you can get a massage you can can get your food in to to get ready to go again the next day um and yeah it's kind of rinse and repeat um and actually I think you know what's what's amazing is that you know quite a few of the days most people are done by 1pm and you've got five or six hours hanging around in this camp with nothing um very basic no phone signal, um, but I think that's actually probably the most important part of the event because it's where everyone kind of shares their war stories from the day, connects with these other you know like-minded people who are who are genuinely all amazing. Um, like all of them have you know incredible stories and 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 there's no distraction because unlike in you know London or right now you know my phone's there and it's flashing at me and you know and and it's it's just distracting so you can kind of focus on the moment uh which just means you just get much better connections um so yeah it's it's amazing how how like the bonds that people create over these weeks um and then yeah as i say similar kind of thing every day until friday friday finish line people cross uh finish the event and then we have a kind of big barbecue um and meal uh, in the desert um and usually a bit of local entertainment um and then stay there first thing Saturday morning, usually fairly early, um, because we want to make the best use of the day. We go up to Petra, um, which is one of the, the most amazing uh, sites, one of the lost wonders of the world. Um, and um, we go, competitors have a chance to look around that. Um, and then they go back to Amman. And that's kind of the week The week done. Um, they can travel home and most of them spend a the night in Amman on Saturday night. Um, And yeah, the format's almost identical in all our five day events, the kind of things like Petra are slightly different in each place and there's a few different offerings, but yeah, that's kind of the format and we try and keep it consistent. Um, I think it's one of the the things we're always um, very conscious of when building Ultra X is we wanted to create a brand um, as opposed to just a number of race, a number of amazing races Um, and to create a brand, you've kind of got to have some form of consistency, Um, but also is very important and i and i know that it adds so much to the experience that you get something you know authentic and local and distinct at each of these those events so it's kind of constantly balancing those uh those different things yeah that's amazing um i think the phone signal thing
0: especially is so important like and there's no choice it's it's not like people put their phone in their bags or airplane mode but like, there is no phone signal yeah. Is Jordan the only one with no phone signal or do the, some of the others have that as well? Um, I feel like that's almost a feature. <laughs>
1: yeah. No, you're, you're completely right. Um, <clears throat> it's pretty much all of ours have times of no phone signal and quite significant times because, you know, even, even our events in the, in the peak district and uh, well, actually all of our events in in the UK, there are times where we don't have um, signal, which is actually a bit of a nightmare for, for us makes life a lot more complicated. Um, but yeah, Jordan's the only one which has a hundred percent I actually that's not true. You have there's about there's about 2K on the long day where you can get phone signal if you're if you if you're switched on and you have the phone on. But yeah, pretty much nothing, definitely not at any of the campsites. Um Mexico, which was an event which took place in 2019, I don't think will ever happen again. Um that was even more remote. That was yeah, that was also nothing. Um and Sri Lanka. And Tanzania um, both kind of have it on and off, but vast majority is no no phone signal. Um, but like most most of the places which are you know international, at the very least, like and it and it changes a bit now. But like at the very least, a lot of people just you know don't have foreign SIM or you know just don't bother with it because they're like oh, I'm on, I'm on holiday, I'm switched off. And um, but yeah, it's it's a really interesting one, and it's funny speaking to like people who you know do lots of these events, and whilst in some way, and it is it's one of the most like physically challenging, like arduous weeks, or few days of your year slash life. A lot of people do it for like a refresh for like, because it is just a switch off. And it's like, and 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 and, and in a funny way, it is really therapeutic. And I like my experience is exactly this, because over the course of a week, you know, there's, an, you, you can't think about emails, you can't think about WhatsApp, you can't think about, you know, your to do list, because <laughs> you're not going to be able to respond to them but you know all you have to think about is to focus on the moment um, and to you know basically try and get yourself in a position where you can get through that day get some food down you and then go again the next day like literally down to like primal basics and then connect with your competitors and that is so rare in um you know in in modern day life um and i think quite important yeah, I would definitely agree. If I mean, I wasn't running, but I
0: definitely felt therapeutic, like mm-hmm. not having, it's, it's just the depth of it. Like you can say, I'm not going to use my phone much today, but nothing is, there's definitely a sense of presence that comes with the knowledge that there's literally no way that you could possibly touch your phone. Like as soon as you get there, you're like, hey, that's done. Mm-hmm. And it goes to the bottom of your bag and it's not even an option. So it really is a great experience for that. It's funny, I was speaking to my grandparents who I was with this weekend.
1: Mm. And I
0: was talking about COVID and how I actually quite liked the fact that life slowed down a lot. And things like bumping into your neighbors on the streets or going for a run became like a really nice part of my day. And like, I felt very like fulfilled and I was enjoying it. And I asked them, it kept across my mind. I was like, what was it like before you had phones? Is that, what, is that what this was like? And obviously for them, this was 60 years ago. It's a long time. But they said, yeah, that's, that's what it was like. You would go out and you'd speak to people and it would be, they had a lot of similarities between COVID and then, and society has just steamrolled on with social media and phones. I do think it's going to be a big problem actually, like how, how do you find the space to escape from all that and have time to think for yourself?
1: Yeah, well, I think it's just it's increasingly difficult to be like in the moment and to be like intentional because there's so much going on. And there's always distractions. So like focusing on one specific thing, which at that moment is the most important thing for you becomes a real challenge because, you know, you've got this beeping over there, this beeping over there. You could do these five other things this very second. In fact, you might as well be like I might as well have my yeah. screen up there, be like responding to my emails on the moment, like even on video calls or whatever. It's so easy to you know be secretly like responding over here and doing that and um, and yeah, I think not having the option is, is probably the only way that yeah we, we can kind of solve that problem. Um, and, I, and I I don't know how that's gonna how that's gonna um, be solved because um, yeah we're becoming we're, you know in a world where increasingly there's so much more ways to, so many more ways to kind of connect and um, yeah, it's um, scary.
0: As like a growing startup founder I mean you've got seven, like a, a load of employees now there's a lot of responsibilities and i'm sure your time is being pulled left right and center so mm. do you have any like protocols or systems or habits with your phone like you don't switch on in the morning or anything like that, or do you have a way to try and manage it um
1: not specifically I am quite um I'm quite I, I find it really interesting like you know that thing I spoke about earlier like trying to be intentional at any moment and like I there's a there's a great book by near eye out about um, I can't remember what it's called but essentially it's it's all about um yeah basically being intentional and like it's fine scrolling on social media or it's fine spending time on your phone but like is that what you want to be doing at that moment because so often you know we waste you know 20 30 minutes scrolling needlessly if, if you're doing research that's cool that's fine as long as you've kind of got it factored in so I I try and remind myself. I'm I'm pretty um, anal about like first thing every day. I will create like a plan for my day, uh, and I will I will you know set my tasks and set my priorities. And you know even if I'm super busy and like slammed with stuff and I've got fifty things, I'll go out that day. I'll always spend you know five minutes in the morning being like, okay, these are things I want to really focus on this day, and this is this is the order I'm going to do them. Um, and I think knowing you know what the priorities are and then trying to kind of be intentional during your your day with the tasks you do means that you don't get distracted as much. Um but I don't have any specific rule actually I, I turn off all notifications on um like emails because I well I, I turn off most notifications on pretty much all apps apart from WhatsApp. Um because essentially I like that you know the philosophy that your phone if you're responding to every notification, your phone's in control of you. But if you're going into your emails at the time that you want to go into your emails, or your Instagram at the time you want to go into your Instagram, you're kind of you're winning that battle. Um, so yeah, I kind of try and mute as much as I can, and then I'll have my phone on loud call. So if anyone actually wants me, they can always get a hold of me. Um, but anything else is um, is usually muted, so I can kind of get on with stuff and check in when I need to. Yeah. That sounds pretty good.
0: And actually I've, I've started doing that as well. So no notifications for anything,
1: Yeah.
0: which I might actually have to add WhatsApp back. Cause I've had a few people <laughs> now like quite annoyed at me for not being accessible, but it definitely, it changes what you see your phone as I, it becomes now when I, if it's on my desk, it's not like att- attracting my attention because I know it can't buzz. And yeah. I'd have to want to go into it. Too. So yeah, I think that's a good thing. Um, so you started running when you were 22
1: uh properly or yeah tra- i
0: mean trail running and you're um, a very
1: good runner so i, I say yeah forward. i mean I, I it's it's funny like i i did sport so i always ran it wasn't like i was never like um you know c- couldn't run a 5k or whatever but i so i um yeah so i did a lot of like team sport and stuff uh until i was about 18, played a little bit at uni throughout for like three or four years, but then got to, got into like a working, like work in London. Um And yeah, signed down for this event. And that was really when I first started like training for running. Um, So, you know, I ran. It, w- it would be a lie if I said I didn't run before, but it was always yeah. like, because I feel I'm fit and I'm going to go for 5k or 20 minutes. Like it was when I, it was when I signed down to Man De Saab that I was like, okay, I actually need to do a bit of research here, like create a training plan, like, sign down to a couple of other like you know um like step up events um do a marathon do it like do a first ultra um and then and then kind of find get myself into a position where i can complete this um and and try and enjoy it um so when you signed up you were not able to well you hadn't run a marathon well i actually had so i'd done one when i was at uni um so (laughs) And I, I did everything you shouldn't do. Um, and I, and actually, <laughs> I think it was a, a really good experience in hindsight, because I, I, I signed down with a mate um, and we're raising money for teenage cancer research um, and got a place. And as I say, didn't really train, did everything you shouldn't do, went out for a run a couple of times a week, built up. The, the the volume a little bit and then got injured six weeks before and didn't run until the uh the day and did it on like painkillers and ibuprofen and it was awful oh, and i hit the wall so hard and then i fell over on the mouth which was pretty embarrassing um oh, God. And, uh, and then finished it but then didn't run for like two years after that but actually that experience literally i remember i remember the day i got into marathon Saab, which actually was fun was a funny experience in itself because I remember it was in my head that I wanted to do this thing but I didn't really think I'd get in I, I genuinely thought that um and it's ironic now because I'm in this space and I know these things are all rubbish but you know I genuinely thought that their marketing it, it, you know it was oh sign down on this wait list and log in at this time and you know pay your deposit if you're lucky and you might get a place and obviously everyone who logs in at that time gets a place but I I genuinely didn't think I would get in. I thought if I would get in, it was like, you know, meant to be or whatever. And I still had like, a, you know, a year or whatever to, uh, to prepare for it. But I remember the moment I did get in, which was the day I, I signed down, which was that, that, you know, that moment you paid the deposit. I was like, shit. Um, I literally, I sat down and was like, okay, let's, let's, let's build this out. Cause this is something I didn't do two years ago. And it was awful. Let's look at, okay, <laughs> what I'm on now. Okay. Let's like tr- try and get like a marathon training plan in, give myself a bit of time. Let's build up to that. And then let's, you know, give myself a bit of time off after that so like recover it, et cetera. And now let's like ramp it up again. And I was pretty like, um, yeah, I created like a real proper plan, um, which I actually really enjoyed like building out and and doing and, and creating. And and that actually meant that I was able to, you know, enjoy it and do a little bit better. And yeah, as you say, I think because of my experience during that event, that kind of got me, got me then hooked on the sport as a whole, got me into the sport as a whole. Whereas the previous one, I think I just didn't respect and didn't, you know, handle any, you know, really the way you should. And then, um, yeah, didn't do any more. Yeah. That's interesting.
0: I think I'm probably in the same stage as you right now. Like I like running, but I've definitely got no respect for it. I have this idea that I can just feel my body and I just, I just go for runs and if I feel like it, I'll be like, okay, I'll just do 20 K but then mm-hmm. I'll get back. I won't be able to walk for three days,
1: <laughs>
0: oh, Yeah. but I, I just hate planning things. I, do you? Have you always been a planner since you, uh, like young, is it, or is it something? Because um, you you studied. I mean, you you worked as an accountant and did all of the accountancy exams. Yeah, so yeah. Are, I assume that teaches you a relatively regimented way of thinking. It does. Yeah, you're and right. You, yeah. and and you see the benefits of it. More importantly,
1: I, yeah, I so, I I think I, I'm trying to think. I I mean I, I I have always been a planner. I've always been the kind of guy that gets you know, gets assignments done and likes to be prepared. And I don't like the last minute stress of things. So I like knowing kind of where I am and how I'm going to get there. And and that's been something I think I've had since I was, you know, 12, 12, 13 years old. Um, I think you're right that accounts the exams very much, you know, teach you quite like a formulaic approach to a lot of things. Um, I don't know how much, um, in fact, I, I don't think I learned much from the exams. Looking back now, I think the experience Three years as an accountant was extremely valuable, Um, but most of that was from going into different businesses and seeing how they operate, rather than the exams, which actually are quite kind of tick boxy. And to be honest, I don't think if you asked me, you know, the most ten basic questions from my first year exam, I I probably couldn't remember them because it's just about consuming a load of a volume of knowledge um, and then then kind of you know puking it out on a piece of paper, rather than actually really teaching you um, you know, actually how to like argue or how to evaluate a business or, you know, all these things. So, um, I think, yeah, it's funny. Like, I think if I look back at those exams and I look back at uni, the specifics of what you learn, and, and I think it's probably very similar for a lot of people, the specifics of what you learn, you know, haven't really helped much, but the skills that you learn, you know, this is how I, this is how I prepare for an exam. This is how I manage my workload. And this is how I fit this in with my life. That, is incredibly important. Um, and I think, yeah, I think you are right, actually, looking back now, because, you know, three years of those exams on top of doing a full time job, and then on top of doing this training, just meant I had to be incredibly organized, um, and and create a plan uh, around everything. Um, and yeah, that's definitely something which has stuck with me, um, which I think would be easy not to as like a, you know, a startup founder, where actually, your time is kind of more or less under your own control.
0: Yeah. I think it's really interesting. You said you don't like last minute stress, like in comparison, I love last minute stress. I almost, it's almost like an adrenaline rush for me. And so when I was first like started reading books and you know, like the whole personal development thing, when I first started paying attention and seeking advice from people who have been successful, I would follow every piece of advice. Like I would listen to a podcast, write down the advice do it the next day. And I kept just being like, why is this not working? But I think that's a good example. You don't like last minute stress. I do like last minute stress. Mm. So we're going to have two different ideas of what a good day is. So I think it's so important that you work out what, you actually, what
1: your strengths are and make sure you play into that instead of trying to take someone else's blueprint. Yeah, 100%. And being, and being open-minded and, and working out and, and just being super like, self-aware. Like, you know, I think it's, um, you know, everyone's got different ways of working and everyone, you know, things work, completely different for you and I. And actually, I think we just got to kind of like try and understand that. And, and, um, yeah, and I, I'm, I'm very guilty of that as well. You know, my mood at any one time is like 95% of whatever I've just listened to or read or whatever, but, um, yeah, it's, um, <laughs> it's fun, It's interesting. In fact, you,
0: I think you and your co-founder, Jamie, have a very interesting chemistry because you're, as you were saying earlier, you're, you, you do both have different strengths that do play together nicely. Um, can you talk a bit a bit about like how that works? What role you both take? Are,
1: are there any challenges? You know what? Anything uh, along those lines? Yeah, like we're totally different, and we and we like have known that since day one, and actually kind of embrace it. It's kind of like a funny marriage. Um, but uh, <laughs> he's like very much kind of extroverted, center of attention. Um, you know, um, cares a lot about like brands. Like visual stuff, um, I'm his am <laughs> his hair, his skin color, um, <laughs> um, and and um, but but is incredibly like good at that side of things, the, the visual side. Whereas I'm actually much less so. I'm I'm much, you know. He's uh, I, I can't remember. There's there's like four different types of thinker, and and one is very visual. I'm I'm what you call like AD or AC. I can't remember, but it's basically I'm numbers and words. That's that's what that's what works for me um so it's definitely a challenge because we see many things very differently but you know that's not a bad thing like that's that's been like one of the big reasons like we've done okay in the last few years is because we've had so many discussions and you know I say discussions because they're not arguments that it, it's two different points of view and and neither of us is often right but often we kind of come to an agreement um which is probably the best case scenario because we do just see the world slightly differently and we both like accept that and acknowledge it um but yeah in terms of in terms of how we work he kind of deals with um kind of uh, big picture stuff um kind of vision um brand tone of voice um pretty much all the marketing side of things i'm more operations finance overall strategy kind of integrating the the business as a whole um and it and it is something which has taken a bit of time to develop like specific roles and I think it's actually quite hard particularly when you're in a small team and you want to get involved in everything because it is your baby um but I think the better we've you know the the more we do quite specific things and the more we own our areas, the kind of more efficient we get and the, and the, and it's just really the only way to work like productively um but yeah
0: has there ever been a decision that um well, maybe there hasn't because you've like, agreed in the middle. But has it ever been something where Jamie's been like, "Trust me, this is how we're doing it," and you've disagreed? And he's like, "No." Oh we're yeah, doing
1: yeah, hundred percent, loads of times, and 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 the, and the other way. Um, and and that's where okay. it comes down to owning your areas. Like, I know that Jamie's understanding of how a picture looks or how a video looks is is better than mine. Like, they, he just has a better eye for it. And in the same way, like the way I create a, an operational plan for a, for an event is much better than the way Jamie does it. So there's there's some things that you know some categories some areas where we just say okay we're going dis- to we're going to agree to disagree and this is your area so we're going to trust you and and you know that's I think it's often difficult uh, and I think you know even Jamie and I who get along extremely well you know like I said wedding you know we're like best mates kind of thing Um, but there is, you know, there's often tension. I think it's often like one of those things, which is a real challenge for, you know, startups and and founders, because it's incredibly like, you know, intimate, stressful environment. And, you know, people care a lot about, um, how things are done, but I think you've just got to, you know, take a backseat. And like we were saying earlier, just be like self-aware as you can and just have an open mind. And, and, you know, I'm happy to be wrong. You know, that's, that's very much something, you know, which is fine. Um, and, uh. Mm -hmm trying to take your ego out of, um, any decision-making and understand that, you know, everyone who's, whether it's Jamie and I, or whether it's someone else in the company, everyone wants that, you know, the, the best result at the end of the day. And it's, it, you know, so, um, yeah, we've definitely had decisions like that, but yeah, we're still talking. <clears throat> That's really cool. How do you, um, do you set, so you have seven employees, right? Uh yeah, five well yeah, five five technical employees, two placement students. Okay.
0: And how do you sort of what's your approach to setting like do you do you set like a vision so everyone's on board with like what all is trying to do? Um obviously sustainability and DNI is is a part of that, big part of that sounds like. Um and if so like what's your thought process for all of those things?
1: Yeah, I think I think it's creating like a, a coherent you know team which you know like what basically moves in the same direction all comes down to that that vision and that communication of that vision and um, and making it really clear um, from day one exactly what that is we've actually been quite fortunate I think because actually our vision hasn't changed since day one and a lot of things have a lot of the you know details have but you know what we're trying to do hasn't hasn't changed from day one, and it's quite clear. It's quite easy to communicate at a basic level. You know, we want to have this number of races. You know, we want to have these are the formats. We want to have this number of competitors, um, and we want to essentially create a brand which you know it become becomes the you know the the iPhone to phones. What you know, the, essentially, we want to you know be that you want. We want people in five years time to say, "I've done an ultra X, or "I've done an Ultramath, and That that kind of that kind of thing. So um yeah we've always been quite quite good at kind of communicating that and and really like refocusing it and um and every every kind of six months or a year um we'll have like a sit down and we'll kind of go through everything for the next year and and um yeah the the kind of the mission so to speak and i think the good thing about what we do is actually it is you know it's something we actually care quite a lot about and it's like it's not you know we are a business at the end of the day, but it, this is like a value-led business. You know, we are trying to, you know, take people on like transformative journeys. And, uh, you know, that is something that is incredibly important that all of our team buy into um, and and will always be. And I think the fact that, you know, we do what we do means that when we employ people, when we recruit people, they have to buy into that. So actually it's it's fairly straightforward um and particularly once you've been and experienced a couple of events to um to kind of align with that um so yeah but uh yeah it's it's definitely it's it's a bit of a learning curve always like managing people and i think it's probably one of the more challenging things i've found over the last like four years like actually at the end of the day it's quite easy to do your tasks well if it it's you're doing something you know well and enjoy it and care a lot about it but actually making other people um you know buying it to it's the same level that you do or accepting that they won't um is uh is something is a bit of a learning curve
0: yeah that's that's interesting i want to come back to talking about how you've learned to manage people um but i also want to dig more into like sustainability and dni because yeah. they're easy things to say and a lot of businesses do say that i bumped into the head of esg apparently of shell in a pub and he was Give me a lot of spiel about esg at shell it's like i'm sure they're doing some work but it's a, it's a hard it's a hard sell let's put it that way so how yeah. is there a place or a reason or where does this desire to include more people and leave no well less impact on the world yeah so I, I guess it's
1: two two separate things but both things that we care a lot about and also are incredibly important to our community and we know that so Taking the DNI piece firstly. Um, so as, I, as I've kind of already like kind of alluded to, accessibility is like, you know, the biggest point of our brand. Um, and we essentially exist because we want more and more people to do events like this because we think they're incredibly like valuable, amazing experiences. Um, so historically, um, and there's many reasons for this, um, but historically it's been a very... Um, male-dominated sports and the average age is generally like 45-ish and there's very few um, minority ethnic groups participating in the sport. Um, So we've done a lot of work around um, trying to encourage more female participation, um, trying to bring the average like demographic down um, and also increasing our like minority um, ethnic group participation Um, And that was a lot of, a lot of that work kind of came out of that, that kind of COVID time. Um, And again, there's kind of like, you can kind of go into a lot of detail, each of those things, but the, I think the thing we found most important in those things is, has always been, and and we've kind of like focused on um, the very beginning, we focused quite a lot of like price point and like you know bits like that but actually the most important has always been education and, and interaction so education by which i mean explaining how you ollie can do one of these events um but also showcasing the people particularly in these groups which are which are taking up a minority you know female participation etc showing the competitors that are doing the events and really telling their story and showcasing that story um and almost like overemphasizing it if, if necessary um and um and what was the other one <laughs> education and uh an outreach so like working with kind of community groups so like there's several different you know running groups or um movements whether it's like she races or whether it's um black trail runners or you know things like this and essentially we've had a lot of conversations where it's literally like you know hey ollie like how like what do you, what do you want how can we help like what can we do can you can would you like to come and experience an event like all these kind of things because you know those are the conversations which um which make the difference um and then it's like you know and and then we do a lot of like now we do a lot of tracking around um are, are the other are changes we've made are the changes we're making um actually making a difference so like we can say you know last year we had x percent of female participation this year we want to beat that this year we had X percent of like minority ethnic groups participating in events. Next year we want to beat that, um, and so we can kind of see whether the benchmarks or the what we the changes we're making are making a difference in the grand scheme of things. Um, and from what we've seen, we're kind of ahead of the kind of industry average. Um, you know, I think we had forty four percent female participation last year. Our average age is like thirty four, um, but you know, there's still a long way to go. Um, and, and then, I was do you think the Sorry.
0: sorry, I'll just go on that first. what do you think the so what is the end goal of this i'm I'm on board with you, but I'm just trying to play devil's advocate a bit so increasing participation so it's so more people get to have this experience that's the end goal
1: yeah, I think so The population in the u k is fifty percent women um i would i i don't see why fifty percent of people who finish you know ultra marathons um Aren't, aren't the same um, so essentially yeah encouraging more people to take on these challenges because we believe you know it's um yeah it's it's a great experience um and and breaking down the barriers that prevent people um doing them um yeah is there any changes you can speak about specifically that you to demonstrate um
0: a change in the process or marketing or anything you've done that you saw a demonstrated impact in the final numbers
1: yeah so like as i say a lot of a lot of it's around imagery and and storytelling um but in terms of like event specifics so things like we used to offer unisex t-shirts which actually is a male t-shirt um so we now do male and female t-shirts um increasing the number of toilets on course has been a big one it's more difficult in places like jordan but for all of our uk-based races now we have toilets on course um we have sanitary products as like by standard on each of our aid stations which actually makes a big difference a lot of it's around communication of what is expect what is available at each campsite because i think it's more it's just more challenging for for women to um you know get an understanding of and 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 be comfortable with you know spending five days in a in a desert camp so Trying to explain exactly what's on offer, making sure there's no like expectation gap, that kind of thing, super important. Um, and yeah, a few a few other kind of bits and bobs here and there. But um, yeah, those are, those are the kind yeah, of yeah, that's really cool things. Yeah, no, good for you guys because I think you're definitely
0: if you're not leading the charge in in startups and businesses all over, then you're definitely at the front of the pack. I think it's definitely a very important thing. I mean, I definitely appreciate the fact that when I'm at work, it's not all men because mm. I love having different people with different experiences and different ideas and different strengths. Like some are good at planning, some are good at numbers, some are good at vision and it's a way nicer place to work when you've got that variety. So I think it's good. All the work anyone's done to like push that forward is a great mm. thing. Um, sustainability. Mm. Is it quite straightforward? Like the, the earth is potentially dying. Like that's, so yeah, helps.
1: it's it's um, it's a really difficult one. Um, I think <laughs> if if you look at events as a whole, um, and a, a lot of people are now jumping on the trend and getting rid of um, getting rid of t shirts, getting rid of mandatory t shirts, something we've never done. Um, you know, offering people the chance to get rid of medals. Um, unfortunately, the biggest contributor to um, climate change is is massively travel. Um, you know, it's it's 90 plus percent of any event, whether it's UK or international. So actually, the actual fundamental operation of the event is very small, um, which is oft- obviously complicated for an event where we travel internationally a lot. Um, so it's something we're incredibly conscious of. We, um, cu- we basically monitor all of our carbon emissions as a company and offset, uh, which isn't obviously the solution. Um, but we do, we are a carbon neutral company because we do an order at the end of every year and we look at our flights, um, and contribution. And then we, um, do some rewilding and planting of trees, um, kind of in Eastern Europe. Um, but we also, uh, how,
0: how does that work? Do you have a company that you do that through or is it like a self organized thing?
1: No, no, we have a, we have a partner called Mossiath Earth, um, that, um, is a Spanish based company. Um, and yeah they essentially assist us with the monitoring and managing of uh, our kind of carbon offset work so um and and it and it kind of works twofold because on one on one level okay yeah we're planting trees and, and we're doing some rewilding projects which is good um but also the other level it's putting like an actual cost for us on our um on our carbon emissions and it's meaning that we are uh, monitoring them and managing them so i think you know I think measuring is like the first step for a lot of companies, because if you, once you have like a number associated with it, you can try and beat it in future or try and work out, you know, what's, what are the significant drivers, what are the significant contributors. And so, so it's been, it's been a really interesting learning curve. It's something we are conscious of that, you know, as I say, that flights, flights are a massive contributor. I think we did, we did a, we did a piece at our Sri Lanka event. um, And I think the overall, carbon um emissions from the event was 76 or 77 tons um and of that and this is just our crew traveling to events and not competitors 65 of it was um was flights um so like you know it's such a huge percentage um so i'm very hopeful that someone elon musk put your hand up is going to find a way (laughs) to uh to travel more efficiently um in, in the future. Um, we encourage for all our events where it is possible. We spend a lot of time making sure that each of our events uh, in the UK and in Europe are super accessible from like train stations. Um, and we do things like incentivize people to car share. So like the if people drive in a car of four people, um, it's actually the same um, output as being on a train. So like things like that, we offer free parking for those people, for example. And, and little things like that, um, as I say, we've never done um, race T-shirts. Um, we offer people a chance to not have a medal if they want it. And we plant a tree instead. Um, and we we try and reduce. We're almost down to zero single-use plastic across all events. Um, not quite, but we're, we're trying pretty hard to get there. Uh, and we have made a lot of reductions in that, in that sense over the last few years as well. Um, and it also goes into pretty much all of our, like, all of our supplier relations, all of our supplier conversations now, you know, it's just something like, okay, what is, what's your policy in this sense? What are you doing? Like, um, it's, you know, it's part of why we work with ASICs It's part of why we work with several of our suppliers. We start producing merch with a new brand. Um, and that is specifically because, um, they have a much more ethical supply chain, which is important. And I think, yeah, I think the more we can do and the, and the more we learn, um, Hopefully, the more we set an example for other brands to kind of do the same. And, you know, these things don't all happen at once, but we we make lots of like, you know, small steps and, and progress can happen. Is this all
0: self-guided or is there any regulation about
1: uh, carbon targets? It's, it's self-guided. We work with various organizations. Um, there's no regulation. Um, I, I'd like to see in the future some kind of like carbon VAT, or something like that um, you know i think uh, a friend who was recently in costa rica and everything there has a as a mandatory like they call it like sustainability tax or, or whatever and it means it's super expensive but um, you know at the moment there's no there's no regulation there's no you need to you need to govern the events this way you need to do that yeah. um, it's self yeah self self guided um, self monitored but as i say we do work with there's there's several organizations and experts and there's quite a lot of resource out there if you want to look for it Mm. Again, like good for you guys
0: because most people would think, I mean, it's hard starting a business, especially you, you're not like an established business. So it's very impressive that you're prioritizing all of this stuff as well as keeping the business going. Um, I think it's also good for people to know that there's companies like Mossy Earth where you can now actually, it's now become, you can get paid to work in these companies. It's not a charity thing anymore. And actual fact, like the climate industry is growing so fast uh, it's actually a job now yeah, yeah, yeah like
1: someone has to write these policies and and, and i think that's that... the way it's got to go like it's um unfortunately and and I, as i say i was kind of alluded to we're about to start partnering with a with a new brand for merch is and and the co-founder of that company or the founder of that company is you know his big thing is it has to make economic sense like at the end of the day most you know um t-shirt companies that use recycled fabric and come from the uk are bloody expensive and that makes it really difficult when you know i'm going to my board or you're going to your shareholders or whatever to make that decision to okay we're going to use this and we're going to our t-shirts are going to double in price and actually you know it's all very well for customers to say you know i like the idea of sustainability but you're probably going to lose out at some point there so i think it has to make economic sense for really for you know business owners decision makers to make that decision um and and i think that's hopefully what's going to change over the next few years um and and yeah i, I really think it will um but i think it's just going to take a little bit of time
0: yeah i couldn't agree more i think that's
1: definitely
0: it's good to see it finally like going in that direction mm. um the other thing i want to say on sustainability is i have a thing where i find i kind of find it i don't think people really talk about the second order effect of the carbon emission there are some carbon emissions like flying flying to ibiza for a week and having a party actually no that's a bad example because that has a place as well in someone's life but there's there's some carbon emissions which are for something like making loom bands which are essentially a waste of everything and then there's flying to an event where you you learn more about yourself you challenge yourself you train for yeah. months oh, completely. you become and, better and, as a person
1: and, like, and there's course, so
0: many benefits
1: yeah and call me an idealist but you know and 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 i i was at a kind of a, a conference an events conference in um, in november last year and this was kind of one of you know someone was speaking there about events uh, you know the horror of the earth kind of thing they should be banned etc and you know events have an incredibly important place to play um because essentially we have a lot of power we interact with a lot of people and we can we can give information we can produce information we can manufacture people's opinions we can influence people and if you get events companies that are preaching the right message and are educating people through their journey like for for example you sign up for sri lanka the first email you'll get is welcome email and at the bottom it'll say we work with mossy earth it's basically it's saying that um because of your flying here, there's going to be a a significant carbon um, output. There is an opportunity to offset that, but something to consider. So, you know, yes, there may be an initial, um, you know, negative impact from your race in Jordan or Sri Lanka. And yes, that could have been avoided if you hadn't done it. But maybe there's a chance that you'll go back home and you'll actually change your lifestyle a little bit going forward. And actually, could that be more beneficial, more important, or could it impact you? So, you know, and I think, you know, and we're small scale events. So like, I like to think that, um, you know, events aren't on the devil, uh, when it comes to these kind of things. And actually, they have a really important role to influence people, and hopefully make, um, you know, really positive changes in the whole c- climate and sustainability debate. Yeah, sounds like you can definitely do that. I, I, yeah, again, I couldn't agree more. I think
0: yeah. that's really cool what can you talk a bit more about so obviously you've done mds marathon disabler and you run races for people what is it about running and especially uh, long-term long-distance events why is that a good thing for people what is the benefit they get what does it teach you
1: um (laughs) yeah I, i actually it's funny so we're a running company at kind of face value um the running i think teaches you so much you know it's it's an experience it it's, it gets you to a level of physical good fitness but the experience of you know putting yourself through a journey which essentially gets you from point a to point z where you finish one of these events that is incredible because it takes you through enormous like physical and personal stress it teaches you a hell of a lot of like you know management time management body management um it gets you to interact with um, a lot of really interesting people. You know, the thing I love about these events is that, and you'll have seen it in Jordan, you know, you, you sit down and, you know, from, from an outside, it looks like, you know, 30, 50, a hundred, you know, pretty standard Joe blogs, but you speak to every single one of them. They'll have a story because something in their head has motivated them to be like, yeah, I'm going to spend six months of my life training for this experience. Um, And I like to think that it's, you know, it's worth it. So it's difficult to kind of put it down into one thing. Uh, And I don't think it's just running, but I I would just, you know, I'd encourage people to take on things that scare them a little bit um, and um, put them them under a little bit of stress. And I think that can be incredibly rewarding, beneficial. And I think generally when people finish it, they will, be very proud of what they've achieved and be <laughs> have a different outlook on on everything honestly it's a new lease of life it's a confidence booster you've achieved something which is to so many people and probably to yourself once was was impossible um and yeah it's, I, I don't think it is about the running i think it's about you know creating a plan and, and kind of executing it and, and achieving something something big um and doing it kind of in small steps um break by break <laughs> <laughs> it seems like it can give you a bit of a step change
0: in your life. Like you were this person and then you've got this experience. And David Goggins always talks about um you build up your mental backlog of things you've done. So when it does get tough again, you're like, like if you're at work and you've got some issues to deal with and you've just got back from 250k in Jordan, it's yeah. gonna put it into perspective yeah i do think
1: there's a there's a there's a a type of like muscle memory there in that you know the more the more difficult things you put yourself through you know the easier they become and that's not just it doesn't have to be specifically the same experience you know running through a desert isn't isn't something which is going to challenge people every day but the fact that there was a moment where you genuinely probably thought you couldn't go on and you did and you managed it and it was okay that's something which will stick with you um and and yeah it's 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 amazing how many conversations you have with um, with people that have done these types of things, and they say exactly the same thing. Um, and you know that's the message that we're trying to get across. And you know, I'd I'd love just to try and get one more person to do that and have that experience it would be uh, it would be incredible.
0: That is incredible. It's cool that you've got that. Um, you know, like every extra one person you can give them this whole experience when you're managing people. How do you? Like, what challenges have you come up against? Because this is your first team that you've built. You've worked in teams before when you were at your job. Um, what, what, what lessons would you give to other leaders and other future
1: leaders? Um, I think, I think it's it's difficult um, to get people, or it, it, basically, you've got to understand people, and you've got to, and you've got to listen to them um, because. Particularly when you are uh, in a, a small business where it is like your baby, and you are obviously kind of obsessed with it, and you obviously you know work you know silly hours on it at times. Um, and particularly when it's like young, and you know everyone in the team may buy into the vision and may really like the idea, and it and it is really sexy and exciting. You kind of, I think, you often have unrealistic expectations, um, and I think I've learned that I need to kind of check myself quite a lot uh, on that and you know understand that it is it is a job um at the end of the day i think one of i think our challenges um will always and and it may always be is that from the outside this is a super exciting sexy you know proposition and it's easy to jump in and think this is it's all going to be fun Um, and i think it's quite easy to manage people when they're having fun but what's difficult i've found is when suddenly it's not fun or suddenly it's difficult and suddenly something isn't going to plan um and you know working that out um so i think and and i'm definitely learning in this i've kind of only really been doing it for three years and it's still like one of my like real areas for improvement but i think the more communication you have um you know we have these things called like we have a check-in every four weeks where we sit down one-on-one with you know jamie and i will have like different team members each and we just basically say you know kind of small picture how's it going how can we help um and it's amazing how many times issues that things are brought up that you would never have been aware of if you hadn't had this like out of the business discussion um so i think that's been incredibly important understanding people listening to them is incredibly important communication is everything i mean these all sound like really basic points but even in a tiny team it's quite easy to expect people completely understand things (laughs) because i've got it in my head um but communicating really really clearly and trying to do it you know i think i think i think there's a massive difference between doing things face to face and remotely or, or via email um, is is really, really important. Yeah, that's a good answer because I threw you a very general question, but that
0: was quite good and targeted. But trying to get more targeted on it because it is like a very, it's a big problem. Like everyone's had a shit manager, basically. Hmm. But like, how do you, when someone's really not met an expectation,
1: what's it's your a, internal uh, what, process? What, what I've learned is, and and uh, as I say, like I'm learning and I'm I'm working stuff out, but it can't come from you. So like, you know, say say we've just been on a on a recce and and I and I thought you were really shit or, or we had a meeting and you were you just didn't you didn't turn up. It's I, I don't think there's any value in me being like Ollie, what the hell was that? But instead, saying okay, Ollie, how do you feel? How do you feel that went? okay do you think it could have gone better are you happy with how that meant and i think yeah unless because yeah i think you basically i've worked out that whatever you're doing it needs to come from them and getting full like understanding is is super important and it's funny because really we've only had a very small team for a few years um and so my experience of that is you know not not that much but we have volunteers at every single event um and in a weird way, your team managing them the, the whole time. They're not employees, obviously. It's quite different. but And we've had events where we've had great crews and we've had events where we've had average crews. And I don't think that's because of the people that were there. I think that's often been because of the way we've handled it and kind of communicated with them and educated them. But I think I'd say that comes down to three things. And that is you've got to give people a very clear mission whether it's creating an event or doing head of marketing or whatever you've got to give them clear instruction number two is you've got to give them resource so you've got to make give them the tools to complete that mission so you know give them i don't know water check thing is you've got to give them vehicles to get to get the checkpoints and then number three you basically got to give them freedom so you've got to trust them um and i think trust is something which i think in the past, maybe if you'd asked me four years ago, I'd have said it's got to be earned. Whereas now, it's got to be something which is given, and I think you've got to you've got to show that trust. You've got to you've got to like you know you've got to give it. Particularly if you're a leader, you've just got to show you know, hey Ollie, I'm gonna this is your baby. You you go run it. You go do that, uh, and I trust you to do that. And I think yeah, I'd say those three things are massive in you know trying to trying to get people to perform and and trying to get them to add value and um yeah yeah that last one is
0: huge like i've got a job at the moment i have managers and when you don't have that trust to kick off everything you just it just is the most frustrating thing but then equally it's a two-way relationship you have to respect the trust and then not let them down and i feel like you only get you don't really get many chances at that so
1: Hmm.
0: yeah that's a good point. Do you think where did you sort? Of, have you learned this as you've gone, or did you sort of pick it up when you were at Grant Thornton and PwC from your managers?
1: Because um, it's a hard no, skill. Leadership. No, I've, I've, I think pretty much everything I've learned from doing it, or listen to, or like podcasts or books and stuff. I, I think, I, I, I. Funny enough, I had a discussion with this with someone else quite recently about like um, feedback and uh, you know. I think I'm pretty bad at feedback, and the discussion essentially we've got to the conclusion that it was because I've never been in an environment where feedback's been a thing. Uh, and I actually think the managers that I had at, you know, PwC and, and Grant Thornton weren't great. Um, and it, and it may be just because the attitude I have, I wasn't I wasn't open to it, or because I was you know a, I was a small fish in a really big pond, and actually you know I was basically a gra- on a grad scheme for for four years. So actually I expect when you get a bit older, when you get out of that then there's much more opportunity for like personal development because really you're just you know another another fish in the pond kind of thing um so yeah i'd say i've very much kind of learned it on the job i listen to a lot of podcasts i um read quite a lot about this kind of like thing and i'm always trying to pick up ideas and and work out what works for me or works for us because i i think you know this you can read 20 different books you can listen to 20 different podcasts with super successful people and they'll say like completely contradictory things um mm. so uh yeah i think you've got to like try and uh, you know be open to ideas but also don't um don't take everything you you hear at face value or hear or read at face value
0: yeah interesting when i was speaking to my first podcast guest bron mm. who he Works in hedge funds and now he runs a psychedelic BC. Um, I think you, you listened to it. So I'm preaching yeah, yeah. to the choir. Love that. Um, oh, good. I'm glad. Thanks. Um, but he, he, he was saying the thing about, he's always felt this thing. He never worked for a big consultancy or investment bank. And he never went to like a great university. And he, and he always felt inferior because of those things. Um, you've, you've gone to a good uni. You've had the good job. And now you've run, you've started a successful business so far, touch wood. (laughs) Um, So how do you think about those things now? Like, did, did you need to go to, did you need the accounting experience? Could you have done it without it? I'm sure it's somewhere in the middle, but what are
1: your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's such a difficult one. I think I'm, I'm, I'm always the type of person that says, if you can go back and change anything, what would you change? And I say absolutely nothing because like it wouldn't, I wouldn't be the person i am or i wouldn't be thinking the way i would or um i agree i i think as i said earlier there's a lot of stuff i've done where i haven't learned anything particularly which i'll use today in terms of um knowledge um but in terms of you know, the way I think and the way I experience the world and the way I plan and the way I, what motivates me. I think that's been a product of every, every experience I've had, um, whether it's, yeah.
0: How about given that you've done those four years and there's some people who won't have the opportunity or they won't be able to, or they just didn't plan. They didn't, they haven't done it. What did you learn from that, which you're now taking away, which other people can learn in different domains, but like what skills,
1: have been, I like, what's important? That's a good question. Um, I think I, I, a lot of it was confidence for me. Um, so one of the the greatest thing about being an accountant was you get to go into every business. Um, and technically, you can ask any question you want, and they're, they're supposed to give you an answer. They're legally uh, entitled to give you an answer. You basically have a complete overview. And what I found fascinating was um, I went into... You know, work for PwC and have massive clients, um, you know, household names. And you go into all these huge companies that face value, you know, they look well set up. They've got a slick brand. They've got a slick website. And it's a dude sitting behind a spreadsheet who doesn't really know what he's doing, Um, (laughs) which is obviously a little bit of a generalization. But, like, I learned that I think, you know, we've always... There's a, there's a lot of reasons not to do these things. And there's a lot of reasons why you're like, Oh, I, I'm not smart enough. I'm not clever enough. I'm not, you know, I don't have the set. Um, and I think three or four years of, um, being an accountant gave me that r- real confidence because I'd seen it. Um, that, you know, I could do something similar or I could, I could start a company, um, and that it was worth just trying. Um, I appreciate that means <laughs> anyone listening, to this, you know, the viewers. Oh, it's I can I can take that word and take a bit of confidence and um, you know go away. But I think yeah, you know, it's difficult until you've been there and seen it and, and experienced it. I think you do learn a lot of um, you know, as I say, like self management, time management. You know, we I had a massive workload for four years. Um, like, yeah, huge. You do, you know, you right. do six, fifteen exams. You do a a, a job which. I mean, for a lot of time, it's, you know, it's, it's more that it's not a nine to five, you know, particularly we have this thing called busy season, which is like January to, to April. And that's, you know, you're working till, you know, you, you're working 60 hours a week, weeks pretty much for for those four months. Um, and then I was training for for these events. So, you know, each person who was going through those things probably would have managed it differently. But during that time, I worked out actually what worked for me um, and how I could manage my time And how i could you know basically be at my best self um which yeah which which definitely is stuff i took away into then starting my own business and i also got very good at excel which actually is pretty handy now (laughs) i was going to say i when i
0: was talking about like i was gonna frame how you and jamie were different and i remember being like at finish line and jamie would be i don't know doing like piece of camera or something like that. <laughs> yeah. And you'd be there with a laptop, making sure the spreadsheet is up to date with who's yeah. come back. and <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I think sums it up very well. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay. I'm conscious we're getting to near the end and it's a Sunday night, so I'm not going to make it run too late. And I've hopefully got, got assume to assume delivery in
1: 21 minutes, mate. That's your cutoff. Nice. <laughs> 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 okay. Perfect.
0: Um, I was... It, I find it quite funny how a marathon 40 years ago was like a huge thing. And now you're sitting here running a business that those 250 K races. How far can it go?
1: I, I don't know. Um, I, I think it's going to go very far. <laughs> um, like <laughs> it's, I mean, even over the last few years, there's been, you know, more and more insane things. There's these, you know, backyard ultras where people are basically running loops for as long as they can until, until there's one person left. Uh, there's now a lot of 200 mile races are becoming a big thing, particularly in the, in the US. There's a couple in the UK now, but there's a series of 200 mile races where people will do that in one go. Um, I don't know. I, I think I actually think we're we're only just beginning. Um, you know, I think there's over, particularly over the last 12 months we've seen a lot of um, brands jump into the ultra and trail space um, because a lot of people have got into the space since COVID. Um, and yeah, and 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 really b- before then there there's not really been any any money in the space, any brands, any any professionals and. I, I think that's only going to go one way, and the more and the more money's in the sport, the more professionals in the sport, the the more incentive there is for people to, you know, train hard and and compete. Um, the the, the bigger the sport's going to get, uh, and the the more uh you know extreme events that are, are going to happen. I I think I think it's going to get. Um, I I don't know if it will be mass market these 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 big ones, but I do think we're going to see you know more and more people doing you know crazy crazy distances um you know as i say there's 200 mile races there's things like backyard ultras there's um there's a race um called uh, i can't remember what it's called something britannia which is basically it's not really a race it's a self-supported it's like a 30-day challenge where people will basically run the length of the uk um the land's end of johnny groats route but supported as part of an event um yeah it's it's, it's a growing space and um I think I think it's actually really exciting because I do think you know whilst there's some incredible athletes in the space there there still aren't really any big there there isn't prize money really um and there isn't that much support for the very best and that's starting to change so people are taking you know much more detailed training approaches you know getting much more involved in it um and I think we're going to see huge um you know improvements in course records i think we're going to see you know people do crazy fast 100 mile times crazy fast 24 hour track times you know all these things um yeah i i think um i i'm yeah i'm i'm genuinely like as a as a kind of spectator and you know, someone who's involved in the sport i'm super exciting just literally just to see what's what's going to happen over the next um you know two three years
0: yeah, that would be so cool to watch it because at the moment it seems like a challenge, but to watch it turn into a spectator sport would be amazing. I like, imagine if there was like a Tour de France except for ultra running.
1: Yeah, I, and I that'd think I think, it, I think it will happen. Like you know, the, one of the big limitations on um, ultra running in the past or trail is technology. Is that you know these events te- generally take place in you know super remote places, which as you, we've already spoken about, there's no signal. Um, so actually and also because they're small numbers and competitors so actually like getting that out is is really difficult really the only way to experience it was to do one um but as that's starting to change you know um we're getting and we're and getting better technology better footage you know we're getting like drones involved like getting you know amazing gopro footage it it's becoming a lot more um it's becoming more of a media product um and there are there are a couple of brands which are now like pushing that a bit more as like a as like another part of their business. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd I'd love to see it get more like for, uh, get like more like Tour de France and Formula One. I think it would be. I mean, I think it's an amazing story. Like you know, it's um, you know watching people go up and down because there's so much drama in a, in a long event. Yeah. You know? Even even yeah, the yeah. very best in the world will, you know, have hours where they're really struggling in a 24-hour race or a five-day mm. race and you have bad days and good days so you know i think um i think there's a massive opportunity for for the people that can kind of capture that um in in the future
0: yeah i really want to see someone beat salome one day but i don't think it's gonna happen
1: i think it will i think it will well he gets older 52. every year and he is already uh, 50, yeah true i don't know 52 now um and people have people are getting increasingly close um so we'll see. You just got two old crinkled water bottles
0: and just smashes it. it's not all about the kit. So um, how does this? You're just partnering with Asics. Is that related to merch
1: or no? Uh, kind of. I mean, not really. They're, they're Asics have come on board as kind of like a headline sponsor, um, so there's no there's no kind of specific merch agreement. Um, we'll be doing okay. a lot of. Um, you know shoe testing at our events and offering people uh, offering okay. um, vendors competitors an opportunity to you know experience their products experience their brand a little bit but um yeah it's not it's not really a much um yeah okay really. but will we see any like prize money or anything
0: like material changes to the event or is it more of a
1: no it's 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 um it's really just their involvement um okay and yeah adding adding to the, the kind of experience um for for runners there'll be there'll be activations at each of the races there'll be a few people from their team there'll be we're, we're trying to work out some quite fun things we can do about you know them them on course and, and how we can jazz up a checkpoint and how we can jazz up yeah village a little bit um but no it's, it's really just you know we asics are a great partner for us because you know their big thing is accessibility you know they, they've always been about you know championing the you know not the elite runner the kind of your your average um you know um, your normal person um, and that's really what we're about as well so um yeah it's it's just an opportunity to kind of align our brands a little bit um you know try and try and get in front of each other's audiences um and just you know increase that experience and offer offer a better experience yeah. for our and for our competitors. that's super cool. Where do you see ultra X now
0: we we'll sort of draw this to a nice roundabout close and hopefully we'll reflect back on this in the future so where do you see your tracks in a year and in five years as
1: I'm uh, So one year, um, we're going to be back to pretty much all international stuff. Like COVID, COVID meant that we kind of pivoted what we offered quite significantly. So at the end of last year, 50% of our races were UK. Um, really what we want to be about is offering, you know, bucket list challenges in amazing, amazing locations. Not there are not the UK, but, you know, places which... Um, you know, a once-in-a-lifetime place like Tanzania, place like Jordan, place like Sri Lanka. So this year is very much about getting back on that. So we've launched Morocco okay. and Madeira this year, um, and we're looking at two new events for um, 24. Um, so it's basically getting that por- portfolio kind of rebound. Are they still secret? Uh, yeah.
0: Okay, nice. And then five years, but maybe from the perspective of your average runner, do they know about all tracks? Is it a given that they're doing all tracks? Is it still a challenge? Is it a spectator sport? Uh, that's uh, several questions. Okay, so I think... Okay, Oli, let's say Ollie, 24 from London, just going into running. At what point so, is so, his so, journey so,
1: in five years? So you so you go to your office and, you know, if, if you if you did not uh, a race with us tomorrow and you went into your office on Monday morning, um, you'd probably say i did an ultra marathon uh, and they'd uh, and someone in your office would be like oh what's an ultra marathon uh, can you explain that and you'd have to go through the fun process of being like oh it's anything over 26.2 miles or this was 220k over five. um so i'd i'd love i'd like to think that in 5 years time you'll come back and you'll say i i've got an ultra axe and you'll have a tattoo on your arm just here <laughs> um if not your forehead and um everyone will know what that means and and if anything you know that that will mean more to people than what an ultra marathon is um you know in a similar way to to ironman in, in triathlon you know how many people know that ironman is just a brand within a form of long distance triathlon not many um but they they really associate ironman with a you know with an event with something challenging with something um which which tells you something about that person now we're very different from ironman in many ways but what I like to think is we've got an opportunity to create a brand which can really um, mean something to to, to many people um, and and to say something about, about you as a competitor and about the experience that you've had. So I think, you know, big vision, big picture, soft, fluffy stuff, That that's where we'd like to be in five years. Um, you know, I, I, I'd like to have, we've got 11 races a year um, at the moment this year, 11 locations. And I'd like to have more like 25 in, within five years. Um at the moment, we're very um, we're very kind of concentrated around GMT. If you look at our map of the world, it's basically Europe, Africa, Middle East. Um, it would be nice to get a little bit either way, east and west. So um, I'd love to I'd love to break into the states. Um, I'd love to break into uh, you know. Uh, kind of Australasia um Australia and New Zealand would both be insane ama- amazing places for events and and places where we consistently get told we should put events on um but yeah i think for us it's just kind of continuing what we're doing um trying trying to put on more events making sure we keep on putting on really good events that people are happy with you know that at the end of the day i think it's it's very fun and 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 good to focus on you know numbers and uh you know n- big picture and how many how many followers we have and but actually if we don't put on you know we're only as good as we're last our last event and you know it's, it's funny we've now had like six months now in our kind of off season where we've been focusing all the big picture stuff and setting up events for next year and etc but we've now got four weeks until our first race and like if we can't put on a, an amazing experience like we're we're doing it wrong um you know that's what it comes down to at the end of the day like it is, it's an operational business and like putting on a smooth slick event and giving people a great experience. That's got to be fundamental. And and we've got to keep on doing that consistently. And I think, you know, we want to be known as, you know, incredibly professional um, organizers that are going to guarantee you an insane experience. Um, So yeah, that's what I'd like to say in five years. And uh, yeah, I'm sure I could go go on for a lot longer. But yeah, yeah. Amazing. Well, I'm definitely going to be rooting for you. I'm going to start
0: telling people that I want to do an ultra X one day not an ultra marathon because <laughs> I want you guys to win ahead of your competitors. Um, I usually end on a very gimmicky three to one format. Um, I'm just going to carry on because why not? Though I accept it as gimmicky. So <laughs> first one, three running gadgets that you would recommend people get, including nutrition, like anything related to running.
1: A watch a, a, a specific a, type uh, a, a garmin watch a casio they're... a rolex <laughs> get, get a garmin i've i've, I've moved we, we don't we don't work with them but um uh we yeah i've, I've worked with uh, i've used several um i think they're the best i think they're the most reliable i think there's lots which do uh, lots of bells and whistles but they're the most reliable i think um and if you're gonna train seriously about something i think actually training uh where you do have a specific plan and you know look at some faster sessions some slower sessions i just think having having that kind of data is incredibly useful um don't read into it too much it will tell you some some things and obviously uh, you can go to town on it uh so number one i'd say uh, a garmin um it's okay so number two i it's not really a, a thing but I'd say, well, I'd say get a training plan. Um, I think, you know, one of the biggest trends I've seen over the last five years is, uh, everyone has a coach now. Um, you know, five years ago, no one had a coach. Now I'd say 5% of our competitors have their own coach. I don't think you need to have your own coach, but I think you need a training plan if you're going to take on one of these, um, because you will get injured unless you manage yourself. And, And it's all very well, you know, building up slowly and, um, but I, I just think it's really important to, uh, you know, even if it's just, you know, a training diary where you're tracking exactly what you're doing and, and building up, because at the end of the day, the the biggest reason why people don't finish these things isn't physical um inability. Um, it isn't um, you know, their stomach problems, isn't their feet, it's because they get injured six weeks before the event because they're trying to do too much volume or they haven't built up properly. Uh and, yeah, and they'll just be more experienced. Yeah, I mean, it, it happens. A whole, I mean, I've done it loads of times. It's you know, and it's very easy. You have you have one great run, and you are like, I am on top of the world, and then you go for another one the next day, and then suddenly something breaks. So, I'd say um, number two is um, training plan, and I am just slowly buying. Okay, I've from. seen Sorry. you guys have some good ones on your website as well, don't you? Yeah, I've seen so that. Um, yeah, ultra, so we, we, we wrote ultra. yeah, so we wrote through it's like some um, yeah some some good. Um, Free training plans which give you, and I wouldn't say take you know every session um, word for word because everyone's slightly different, everyone's got different schedules, etc. But I think they're a really good guide for kind of just getting an illustration of you know how you get to that point and what are the stepping stones like and, and what you should kind of be considering. Um, so, number two is a training plan. Um, number three, oh, I Come think on, you should sign down to do an event. Sign down to an event because I think, I think we all need commitments. We all need motivations. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, there's never going to be a good time for anything. Um, there's always going to be millions of reasons why you can't do it, whether that's a a challenge or a a business. Um, so I think you just need to make the leap, even if it's something which terrifies you, um, or even if it's, you know, something which you think you can do quite easily and want to do a little bit faster. But I, 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 you know, I personally find, I've always got something in the calendar, even if it's miles away. Um, Partly because I enjoy it, but partly because I know it will keep me accountable. Um, Yeah, um, I completely agree. Yeah. And let me add on to that.
0: If if you're literally signed up for an event and you need an excuse to get out of anything, just saying you've got training for a marathon, people respect that. But if you say, I just want to have a night off and relax, no one respects that. (laughs) So that's another benefit of doing that. Um, Okay, two Judging by how quick it took you to come up with three running things, which is one of your <laughs> passions, I'm worried this is gonna take ages, but two worst pieces I wanna give you really, uh,
1: really good answers. Yeah, okay, I'll be quick at this time. Or worst things
0: you've read. Like, what's the, something you tried to incorporate and that like, nah, it didn't work for me?
1: Uh, there's, a, there's a book called The 5AM Club. Like, it's crazy. <laughs> Like I, 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 there's a, there's a good principle in it, which is you can start your day with like a, a bit of meditation, a bit of, uh, you know, exercise and, and a bit of planning, but like the, the, the philosophy of waking up at 5am every morning, um, which I know a lot of people, um, particularly in this space think is great. Cause it makes them sound like they're super hardworking and super, you know, all that. Um, I think, yeah, not good advice. Um, Love that because I saw that in Waterstones the other day, and I was like, "I'm, I'm not." It's immigrant. worth a, it's worth a read. Like, I'm not saying you shouldn't. Like, really? it's, 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 it's it, like all these things you learn something from from doing it. And as I say, I think there are good principles. But um, yeah, I thought I thought um, that was pretty unhealthy. Last um, thing I've read, uh, give me give me a one. I'll come back. I'll come back to it.
0: Okay. Okay. And one very simple. Even you can manage this one.
1: What's one book recommendation, or uh, or any like info? Oh, I can give you so many. Can I have two for this one? I've got okay. okay. Yeah, take two for this one. <laughs> so my my um my favorite book of all time is Black Box Thinking, which is Matthew's hired, which is um essentially based on um the the analogies of the black box in a in a uh, airplane, which um essentially um when there's a crash, pilots or uh, you know the air industry analyzes the back box works out what went wrong um and improves um so it's all about basically treating failures as opportunities to, to improve really really good i love all of Matty Syed's work um podcasts um i i i actually think guy a ceo is really really good i find it really i know it's like the, the most widely um listened to podcasts in the in the in the world probably so um it's uh, probably not that unusual, but I, I listen to that pretty much religiously, uh, and I think it's, um, it's pretty insightful, and I think Steve Ball is a very good uh, interviewer, so those are my two.
0: Awesome. Perfect. Those are great. And you've done the one worse advice, copped out of that, so <laughs> nice. All right, Sam, well, thank you very much for your time. That was a very good conversation. I enjoyed
1: it. Um, do you feel like you learned something, even if it was from talking something through yeah, I did, mate. It's all—it's always—it's uh, always good. It's actually—I love these things because it's like—it's um, very rare you get, um, you know, ninety minutes or two hours just to like sit and, as I said earlier, like focus, you know, just on, you know, one thing. So, um, yeah, it's all—it's always, always fun, and uh, yeah, I really appreciate you having me on and enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, thank you very much. Well, I look forward to next time. I'll be good. I look forward to seeing where X goes. We'll have Cheers, to dude. go for some more catch-up coffees and work it out. hundred uh, <laughs> percent. All the best. All right. Thanks, mate.